Be good. <laughs> Hello there, friends. Thanks for tuning in to Monkey Tooth. This is Andrew. I'm here with my little pal, Pele, and he is going to sleep. It's about 9.30 p.m., which is past his bedtime. Tiffany is probably also asleep up in Santa Rosa, about 45 miles north from where I am. And, uh... Times are weird, man. Times are super weird. It's the first not smoky night we've had around here. But uh, we're kind of surrounded by wildfire at the moment. On the coast, there's fire. Uh, North of us in Sonoma County, there's fire. South and east, just big, huge, crazy fires. And it is a little bit difficult to muster the sincerity at the moment to uh, to bring you this thing that I'd like to, to share with you, uh, our podcast, in the midst of all this like chaos and horror that people are experiencing uh, not far from me. So um, we are going to uh, put up links to um, organizations that are helping people recover and deal with this fire. I really can't imagine what this is like for people. And I my heart goes out to all the all the firefighters and first responders and people who are trying to help desperately on the front lines. I feel so um, impotent in this in the face of this thing. So, if there's any way that you can help financially, uh, please go to our website mtp.dog and click one of the links. Or if you just haven't done it yet and you already know of somebody that you like to give to, just I don't know, do it. Um, but anyhow, I. I do feel like we've got something worth sharing. Um, I've got two things to share with you today from previous podcast guests, uh, Mr. Joel Solomon and Mr. Bill Gilbert. They're two very interesting individuals who are experiencing this pandemic in very dissimilar places and uh, very dissimilar situations, but with a similar grace. I think is a fair way to put it. Um, yeah, Joel is uh, living in the Pacific Northwest in Canada in a, one of the most beautiful and tranquil places I've ever seen. And Bill is currently in Beirut, Lebanon, uh, working for the, uh, the U.S. consulate there. And boy, what two very different places, huh? Anyway, we're going to hear an update from them. Uh, you're going to hear a little update f- about us, about Tiffany and I. And I'm going to talk to you a little bit, very briefly, about music. In particular, a song that I really like and an artist that I've just recently gotten turned on to. And I'm going to play two other songs in this podcast. And that'll be it. So <laughs> that's the format coming up. Um, so as far as we're concerned, an update on Tiffany and I. We are, um, I just had a, uh, an hour long zoom appointment with a surgeon today. I'm going to have uh, surgery soon. I'm going to have a hole in my heart that's been there since I was born, uh, closed up with this crazy wire mesh thing. They're going to put a wire mesh on either side of a couple walls in my heart to cover up a hole. It's a weird thing to think about that I'm going to be basically in the same sort of procedural room that my wife works in, but at a different hospital with a different physician, the one she works with, doing a different procedure than she normally does. But still, it's like her world, you know, Um, and having this highly technological thing put into my big dumb heart, it's, uh, it's weird, it's super weird, but if it can prevent 
my wife from turning into my babysitter for the rest of my life, I, I'm for it. I don't want her to have to deal with a, a severely debilitated version of me um, if I can help it. And preventing a big, massive stroke, I think, is high on my list. And they uh, they tell me that a combination of this surgery and some pretty minor medication, I should be at considerably lower risk of stroke. So that's that. Uh, um, it's going to be real expensive, super duper expensive. Um, we've already incurred quite a bit of expense from the stroke itself. And then, uh, let's see, we've got our van coming back to the United States, which is a, a weird transition to think of that thing getting put on a ship that will basically go through the Gulf of Mexico while there are two hurricanes in it uh, on its way to Tampa, Florida, where Pele and I will fly and meet it. And I'll spend a few days getting it out of customs, having some work done to the van. Uh, it needs a new turbo. And then I'm going to drive it from Tampa back to the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, I can take a little bit of time, but I kind of need to get back to work. And uh, I'll probably get back and have my procedure, surgery, uh, shortly after I get back. And Tiffany and I are going to work for a few more months, and then we're going to take another road trip back across the country, heading east to see friends and family and look for maybe a piece of land to buy or an area where we would like to buy and uh, start putting that weird plan into action of eventually either buying a place to fix up or buying some land to put a place and uh, yeah, start putting down some roots. So that's that's our update. That's what we're up to. We're okay. Tiffany's doing great. She's in good health. She's like in some of the best shape I've ever seen her in. She looks amazing. Um, Pele is happy. I had a very weird experience last night. I'll share that with you briefly. I had a very stressful dream where Pele was dying and Tiffany and I had to um, had to put him down, which is such a weird way of saying you had to kill your dog, but we've had to do that before with a dog. She was 16 years old, our previous dog, Sammy. And it's a very painful thing if you've ever gone through it or had to deal with it. It's, it's, it's hurt. It's a, it's a hurt. Unlike any that I've known before. I mean, I've lost a parent, I've lost loved ones and friends, but this something about choosing to end a animal's life is tough, you know? So anyway, I'm having this really heavy dream and I woke up like with that, you ever woken up crying, you know, <laughs> like a thing in your throat, you know, you just that, uh, that feeling that you've been crying. And I felt relieved that it was a dream, but still feeling that residual sadness. And Pele, who sleeps next to me, got up, came closer. He never does this, like in the middle of the night, just got up, came closer and laid down and put his little chin right on my hand. Like he was comforting me. He knew I was upset and was just intuitively being kind to me or whatever that is for a dog. I don't know if it's kind. That's a human thing. But it was very, uh, it was this weird loving gesture from this scruffy little rat-like creature. Um, I think a lot about interspecies communication and how important a thing I think that will be for the development of our species, but I don't know that it works the way we think communication normally works. There was something else being communicated there yesterday in the middle of the night, and I don't know what exactly it is, but I felt something really pure from that little animal that was uh, was delightful and um, comforting. I don't know why I'm rambling on about this, but just looking at him now, sleeping peacefully. Um, yeah, if you're out there and you're lonesome or you're sad and you don't have a little animal in your life, maybe think about it. Think about adopting a little dog or helping out some sort of little creature if you haven't made human beings, which if you have, God, good luck. Where was I? Uh, oh, yeah. That's our update. That's what we're up to. Music. So recently, 
I was turned on to an artist by another artist that I really like, a lady named Danielle Aykroyd. Uh, her band name is Vera Sola. I met her in Bombay Beach through Tao Ruspoli, and uh, she's great. She's got this really uh, serious but but pretty and, and really just beautiful style of music. It's heavy, and uh, I, I really like it. And she suggested that I check out Elvis Perkins is the guy's name. And when I first heard the name, you know, I'm, I'm from Memphis, Tennessee, so I immediately thought Elvis Presley and Carl Perkins, who was a, a rock and roller songwriter guy who wrote a lot of, uh, a lot of songs that other people played and, and made them really famous. Um, so I thought maybe this guy was doing some sort of Elvis, Carl Perkins thing. But it turns out his real name is actually Elvis and his real last name is Perkins. And he's the son of Anthony Perkins, the guy from uh, Alfred Hitchcock, Psycho, and a bunch of other great movies. But uh, independent of his lineage and his name, his music is fabulous. I mean, it's so thoughtful and well-crafted and inspired. And I, I, I love I love his music. I knew nothing about it about two weeks ago, and now I can't get enough of it. Um, and he's got a new record coming out on the 2nd of October, Three tunes have been released already from that, and I'm going to play you one of them called Half Life. The name of the record is Creation Myth, and you know I, I love music. I love to play music. I play guitar and sing, and I write songs, but nothing anywhere near like what you're about to hear. But I know the feeling of a song arriving for you, <laughs> uh, and. It's a, it's a sublime feeling when you suddenly have music in your head that is yours and that you can translate into a song. Um, I have music in my head all the time. Almost everything I do is accompanied by music. But I, what I hear in this guy's music is a vessel. Like this guy is some sort of antenna for inspiration and art that is uh, something, something unique. But on top of his being an antenna, he's honed the instrument of his songwriting craft and his singing in such a way that he can really make something beautiful, something that was inspired and came from who knows where and turning it into something that's truly a work of art. Uh, The song that I'm about to play for you, Half-Life, I don't want to tell you what I think it's about. Because I think that can, I don't know, messes with the uh, people's perception of a song. I think you'll just figure it out. But I do find it apropos of our current moment. The way that the world is at the moment and the way that most of us end up living in a lot of ways through through life. Um, and it's, you know, it's kind of got a love song vibe and a existential crisis of a song i think but it's uh it's beautiful and strange and the all three of the songs i've heard from this record so far are great but anyway i don't know why i wanted to play this song for you i just wanted an excuse to play this whole song and i think you have to talk about something in order to play it legally and i know i play a lot of music on this podcast illegally i'm aware of it but uh i wanted to do right by elvis perkins because i have a tremendous amount of respect for him and um, I don't know, I think people should know about his music. So yeah, this is um, Half-Life by Elvis Perkins. Enjoy. Half of the time I think twice to myself Am I having the time of my life? Am I too much for you and hardly anyone to me? Am I only here half of the I'm half of 
today Can you turn me all on Do you have a half life of your own And if you say it's true I do, I do Do you think that maybe We could make one out of two Well let me check back with the mirror I'll try and pull myself together I must say I feel like I'm coming undone Will two halves make a door Will we fall through the floor Or take away one and get the long sun The moon is half empty, oh, the sun is too bright How do you stand all the light? We're all overdone, having so much They've hidden the night from us Are you half off today? Can I turn you all on? Do you have a half life? your very own And if you say it's true I do, I do Do you think that maybe we could make one out of two Would it tune, huh? I forgot to mention that uh, Vera Sola actually sings on that tune. She's one of the sweet backup voices that you hear in there, and they're they're good pals, and I think he was a tremendous uh, influence on her music, which, if you've not listened to, um, with actually her permission, I, uh, I used some of her music on a previous episode with a guy named Uve, U-V-E, which I think is actually the word grape in Espanol. Uh, Uwe Martin, uh, who's German, not Spanish or a grape. And uh, anyhow, I used some of her music on on his episode. So, and, and if you don't know, there's a search function on our website, mtp.dog, and you can type in almost anything and get some kind of result. Uh, you could type in the name of a guest. You could type in the name of an artist. You could type in uh, horseradish and just see what comes up. I have no idea, but it'll either show you a journey journal entry where I've said the word horseradish or a guest who's uh, somehow we managed to talk about that. It's very unlikely. It's one of my least favorite subjects, but anyhow, uh, I hope you liked that song. I certainly do. I'd kind of like to play that whole record for you. Well, what little bits of it I have. He's released three songs from it. They're all incredible, and um, you know, you'll hear haunting and all these sorts of adjectives, but... It, uh, to me, music like that is, it's soothing and troubling, makes me think, helps me not think, it does a little bit of everything, and I'm, uh, I'm hoping you enjoyed it as well. 
So our first updated guests is a guest we had on almost exactly two years ago, back in July of 2018. We met him in British Columbia, Canada. His name is Joel Solomon. He is the founding partner of Renewal Funds. He's the author of The Clean Money Revolution and is just an all-around sweet and interesting guy. We actually met him through uh, Charis Ford, who is a friend and has also been a guest on this podcast. Uh, if you're interested and you have not heard of Joel before, it's um, it's worth at least going to his website, joelsolomon.org. You can listen to the uh, his episode on our podcast, mtp.dog. Just type in Joel, J-O-E-L, Solomon, S-O-L-O-M-O-N, and you'll find him there in the uh, in the search bar. He's a fascinating character. One of the few people I've ever met that works in finance that talks about compassion and empathy as as part of the investing process. His company, Renewal Funds, is a, a venture capital firm, and they're investing heavily in socially responsible and environmentally responsible companies and um, is trying to his goal, so far as I can tell, is to influence the direction that money is heading, given that there's enormous and enormous transfer of wealth from one generation to the next that, that always happens, and it always gets bigger as, as time goes by. And the one that's happening now is, is just staggering. It's an enormous amount of money that, uh, that will change hands to hopefully a more socially responsible, environmentally responsible, conscious group of people. His, uh, his book uh, is very, very thoughtful in that way, and he's presenting some pretty bold ideas for what we, what we could do with money in the future. And his uh, update on what's happened to him since COVID is, um, it's interesting. It wasn't what I was expecting from Joel. It, uh, I mean, it certainly touches on finance, but uh, I don't know. He um, he gives us a little prayer, which I like. Talks about prayer and magic and hard work. So I'm just going to read this to you now. Um, these are the words of Joel Solomon. My last bit of travel as COVID unfolded was to co-lead the financial activist year-long fellowship program housed and funded at RSF Social Finance in San Francisco. The profound inspiration of these diverse fellows is one of the great gifts of my seventh decade. The completion of this program, like most others, has been forced online. However, being a now digital rather than in-person format has not hindered the 25-plus leaders from gaining access to some of the most creative deployments of financial capital stories and leaders on this continent. These inspiring and diverse people continue to find their place in this puzzling moment. We are now in a time where norms about how large financial wealth is held, shared, strategically deployed, and redistributed are being truly challenged. Perhaps this is an early phase which evidences the demand for reparational capital as a growing concept in dire need of wider adoption. My wife Dana and I are steadily passing on our Trump tax break gains as one more step in that process. Alas, political insanities are underway globally, sadly revealing the poisoned roots of the U.S. and modern capitalism in general. These deep historical and structural patterns of injustice are now reaching the light of day for many. We can no longer blithely ignore these realities. I'm afraid for what could emerge next. With almost 8 billion people, and counting, on our environmentally frayed planet, a pandemic underway, and all the wrong types of pressure bearing down on the human psyche, it's a good time for prayer, magic, and hard work. I'll offer a little prayer of my own here. The magic and hard work, they're up to you. May we survive and emerge as a better people from the upcoming future of civilization level election in America. 
May we see unleashed a reinvention and rise of wisdom, sanity, and stability. And may this wisdom now be rooted in fairness with broad opportunities and inspiring visions of the future. Our blessings should be far clearer given these external crises. A better understanding of the life circumstances so many others face is within our grasp if we are attentive and present. All of our money has blood on it. For this, I beg the forgiveness of future generations who will inherit it and its questionable legacy. There is more than enough money on our planet to go around. May we find the wisdom to share it now and in the trying times ahead. We must do all we can and then some. It's part of our responsibility for having such blessings. May we live well now with kindness and empathy for others. And always remember our deathbeds. Fill up your mind with all I can know. Don't forget that your body can let it all go. Fill up your mind with all I can know. What will we be without wishful thinking? Plastic mounds, the inside or outside, no one has found how to unring the bell. It's just as well. The turntable sizzles, casting the spells, the pressure devices, hell in a nutshell. Is any song worth singing? doesn't help Pull up your mind with all I can know Don't forget that your body will let it all go Fill up your mind with all I can know This world would love be without wishful Uh, words of wisdom from Joel Solomon and that track you just heard was uh, from Wilco's album A Ghost is Born, a song called Wishful Thinking. That song was recorded in 2004 which when you say 2004 doesn't seem that long ago but that was 16 years ago. It's like a a teenager driving a car now uh, (laughs) in time distant from when that was recorded to right now. Sounds really modern and hip. 
great song, great band. Um, and I think apropos of the message Joel was getting across there, be, uh, be hopeful, but be aware the whole thing is falling apart underneath your feet, yourself, your planet. Uh, and the best you can hope for is to leave something nice for the people who follow behind you. And that that's it, right? Isn't that all we can do? I, I didn't make any more people. Certainly don't plan on making any more people. Proudly vasectomized. But that doesn't take me off the hook from uh, future generations. Joel said something to me when I, we first met about wanting to be a good ancestor. And he's not procreated any humans either. But uh, he wants to be an ancestor and a good one. And I think we're all ancestors eventually. And it's incumbent upon us to be good ones because we're just going to be dead at some point. And after us come everybody else. Our next guest is a um, guest. It's funny to call him a guest. He's not here. I wish he was here. And I actually wish I was there with him. A guy named Bill Gilbert. He is in Beirut, Lebanon place I've never been, but I would love to visit. Um, right now, it seems like a particularly horrible time to visit as they are uh, experiencing just an untold amount of turmoil from um, the pandemic, horrible corruption within their entire government, uh, and now are dealing with the, uh, the after effect of this horrible explosion that, uh, that killed so many people and destroyed so much of the city. Um, I think I mentioned earlier that Bill sent me this update before that explosion happened. I mean, almost like maybe a week before this happened. And, uh, you know, we got an update from him afterwards and he was okay. But it was, uh, it was scary. It was scary to know that he was there. He's been there through riots, but there are even more riots going on now. And it's just a, it's a wild time, a wild time. But, uh. He's a hip guy, and he's been around. We met him in Alaska, of all places, and he was on sabbatical between uh, deployments for the U.S. Um, State Department. He works right now in the in the U.S. Embassy in Beirut, and uh, you can you can listen to his episode mtp.dog. Type his name, Bill Gilbert, B-I-L-L-G-I-L-B-E-R-T into the search bar and uh, he'll, his episode will pop up. He's a, he's a cool character and has seen a lot in his days. And uh, what he's seeing now in Beirut is, is fascinating to me and sad and um, scary. But uh, yeah, I'm just going to read to you what he sent to, to Tiffany and I. And he sent this to a lot of, a lot of his friends um, and I was just, I was taken with it and it was actually receiving this letter that made me want to start updating people on where people that we've met and had on this podcast and things like that, wh- where they are and how this thing is landing with them. We've now got a whole bunch of these in the pipeline. So thanks Bill for the inspiration. And, uh, here, here we go. I'm just going to read you his letter, which he has titled love in the time of coronavirus. Greetings to everyone. Here are some thoughts from my compound life at the U.S. Embassy in Beirut. Locked down on a fortress in a locked down city in a locked down country in a locked down world. I'd like to see myself as sitting quietly by a shimmering crater lake inside a verdant tropical volcano that rests in a peaceful island in a pristine lake on a gentle isthmus nestled between two vast oceans. Honestly, It's not so bad here psychologically as you might think. Despite the air being contaminated by burning garbage from the city, the incessant blackouts, the lack of clean water, the tension of being targets of well-armed terrorists, and the inability to move beyond a square kilometer, it's not so bad because I share this current reality with some truly resilient, brave, kind, and encouraging people. And of course, where else am I going to go these days that isn't affected by the global pandemic? And lest I come off as even more entitled than I am, 
allow me to point out that I haven't exactly been static in the past year. I'll try to briefly recap all my comings and goings. I arrived in Beirut exactly a year ago at the end of July of 2019. Despite the challenges of a very tough new job and the significant restrictions on my personal movement, I was able to see a fair amount of beautiful Lebanon and also travel to Greece, Egypt, Turkey, England, and France between October and February of 2019 and 2020. Then COVID-19 hit and I was sent back to Western Massachusetts to shelter in place for three months. I chose Amherst, Massachusetts because my brother Bruce lives there. As a therapist, he's been exceptionally busy recently and I didn't get to see him quite as much as I would have liked, but we did manage to hike together about once a week. I teleworked with Beirut from a cozy Airbnb owned by a lovely Jamaican family and hiked, usually alone, in the Hollyoak Range State Park in the late afternoons. I started a streak of walking at least 10 kilometers a day, which as of today stands at 108 consecutive days. This has kept my spirits and immune system strong. In June, the embassy called us back to Beirut. Lebanon is going through a disastrous economic meltdown. The average citizen has lost their life savings, and the middle class has collapsed. Many are desperate to immigrate. Normally, this would produce tremendous demand for exit visas, which of course would directly affect me at the U.S. visas chief. But our consular operations are only operating at about 10% of normal capacity. Mostly just immigrant visas for the spouses and children of U.S. citizens and non-immigrant visas for healthcare professionals. In my section, we have divided our team in two groups, Corona and Almasa, named after the beers, so that we have more social distancing and are able to better contact trace in the event of an outbreak. Fortunately, not a single American has tested positive here. A few of the local Lebanese workers have tested positive, but we've been able to contain the spread. The embassy is very concerned about our safety and recognizes that the local capacity to treat us is severely diminished at this point. We are led by a very competent and professional career diplomat ambassador. She has a solid team of experts in whom she entrusts our safety and mission. Our local Lebanese employees are very loyal to the U.S., and some have been direct victims of terrorist attacks against the U.S. in Lebanon, and many others have lost family members in service to our embassy. There's very little griping here. People are largely upbeat. Frankly, the locals that work for us feel safer at work on the embassy compound than in their own homes in the city of Beirut. Most of the American officers speak Arabic and have much experience in the Middle East. We all, every one of us, chose to be here. It would not be difficult for us Americans to leave if we didn't want to be here. The vast majority stay because we want to be here. So even though it sort of feels like a white-collar prison with all the restrictions and intense armed security guards and Marines everywhere, it is a prison in which we officers are both the guards and the prisoners, as one of our friends recently quipped. We get one trip per week off the compound to go shopping, usually with a shopping buddy. We're driven in a bulletproof SUV with a bodyguard who has an assault rifle, just to pick up a few groceries. Before, we're able to get out for group hikes, but now, at least for a while, COVID cases have been rising again in Lebanon, and so even our few hike trips have been suspended. If it weren't for the human relationships here, this would be an exceedingly difficult time for me. But I work every day with extraordinary people. I supervise three junior American officers and 11 Lebanese employees. The Americans are amazing and remind me of the best students I taught over 15 years at the John Burroughs and Noble and Greenock schools. They are wise beyond their years, about the same age as my son, knowledgeable, kind, and highly resilient. I'm smart enough to support them and then to get out of the way to let them shine. One just finished a remarkable report on our efforts to combat international trade-based money laundering by Hezbollah. She tracked cases of illicit shipments of weapons, drugs, used cars, and etc. via West Africa, Latin America, and Asia, financed from Lebanon and operatives in the U.S. 
Another studied the makeup of large U.S. citizen population, estimated at over 100,000 in Lebanon, whose possible evacuation would be coordinated by our office. These quote-unquote kids are rock stars in my mind. But unlike most rock stars, they're also humble, diligent, and judicious public servants, true diplomats. They give me considerable hope for the future. The local staff are also great. Three lion-hearted ladies supervise our visa operations. Their grace under pressure is outstanding. They're exceptionally gifted leaders with just the right mix of nuance, confidence, competence, and fairness. If women like them ran Lebanon, a lot of the nation's problems would be fixed in due time, I have no doubt. So truly, I am blessed to work among so many good and solid people. I have two more years here. It's very hard to tell what will happen here in the next week, let alone two years out. The virus seems to have had positive and negative effects here in the sense that Lebanon has largely done a good job containing it, and though it has exacerbated the economic crisis, it has also probably diverted folks' attention away from the political mess for a while. Uh, Side note, this is Andrew speaking. That has changed tremendously since the explosion. Okay, back uh, back to Will. The main problem in Lebanon is financial corruption and, of course, the tangled political and religious webs that plague it and the region. Israel to the south, Iran and Syria to the east, and the huge diaspora to the west make Lebanon a ridiculously complex and problematic place. There isn't a single Lebanese who could claim to fully understand their own country. So imagine a foreigner trying to make sense of it let alone one like me who's a Latin American specialist who has very little expertise in the Middle East. Daily life motors on with considerable routines. I hike up and down the eight-floor hill between my residence and my office about six to eight times a day. The distance is short, only about seven minutes. I sometimes play tennis or use the gym. Occasionally, semi-spontaneous concerts from, and we have a lot of musicians here, but uh, we've been dissuaded from having more than 10 people attend, so our attendance is limited. I've been reading a lot. I cook a fair amount. I'm saving a lot of money because, of course, there isn't anywhere to go spend it. I'm starting a journal, as that seems to make sense. My mom wrote her autobiography a few years ago, so maybe I'll get started on mine. Uh, This is Andrew again. I highly encourage that autobiography. Okay, Bill. It seems a daunting task, as I've been in so many places and seen so much. Memories are fleeting, and so much is simply jettisoned into cyberspace via social media with no particular order or thought. I should try to recapture more of what is worth preserving in a format I can leave behind. I honestly don't believe I've been an extraordinary person myself. As a military officer and a diplomat, I'm at best middle of the pack. But I've had my moments, like everyone. As a teacher, I am gifted. Perhaps I should return to that clear calling at some point. I think it is my teaching skills that sustain me in my job here. In the paraphrased words of my remarkable friend Peter Tasker, at our best, we, as teachers, are excellent facilitators. I truly believe that. Sparking excitement in learning, recognizing and encouraging talent, suppressing our own egos when we recognize greatness in our students, and getting out of the way when the student is ready to fly. Those are the signs of a truly inspiring and effective educator. I'll wrap up this email and send it out. As you can see, I'm doing fairly well considering I'm in a box, inside a box, inside a box. Today my health is good, my family is safe, and my optimism is still feasible. I certainly wish the same for all of you reading this during these tough times. I've chosen to title this as a meditation on love. In this case, not romantic love, but rather the more enduring kind of love. Love for friends, family, nobility of spirit, generosity, and hope when there seems to be precious little of it. The 1 Corinthians 13 kind of love. That's 1 Corinthians, not 1 Corinthians, in case there's any doubt. So, on this day of Eid al-Adha, I wish many blessings upon you and all of you, and I applaud the love and sacrifices of so many wonderful people 
I've been privileged to know. My best, Bill. And, okay, so we wrote him and asked him how he was after the, the, the crazy explosion, and he just says, I'm okay. The embassy had some minor structural damage, but no injuries, thank goodness. The city is ravaged. Very tragic. We're focused on trying to help. It looks like this was a tragic accident born of corruption and mismanagement. It does not look to be intentional. Yeah, what a, what a crazy, crazy world that guy's living in. Um, I feel so lucky to have had the opportunity to fall into that guy's orbit on our journey. Reading that now and thinking again about, about him and, and the people that we met along the way and what their, what their lives are like now, what they were like when we met them, you just, you just never, ever know what's waiting for you around any given corner. I know it's, I think Michael Pollan was saying that those hallmark platitude types of things are so cheeseball, but they're probably true. (laughs) Things about love being the solution and, you know, all this this obvious stuff about seizing today and, and being here now and all that sort of thing. It really is it. We're, we're so lucky to have what we have when we have it. When it's good, be grateful. And when it's not so good, maybe just, I don't know, be like Bill. <laughs> be grateful it's not worse. I don't know. I don't know anything. I'm not in a position to give advice, but I am in a position to point people in the direction of, of others who seem to have a few things figured out. Bill's got some things figured out. Joel Solomon's got some things figured out. And I appreciate both of them for sharing their insights with us. I hope you're doing well out there. If you want to send something in, a story, um, your thoughts, your questions, please do. You can go to mtp.dog forward slash contact. Drop me a line. Tell me what's on your mind. I'd love to uh, love to talk about it. Love to share it if you think it's uh, worth sharing. Um, it's a weird world. There's a lot of heavy shit happening out there, and like Bill said, the the thing that's going to keep us all together and keep us sane is each other. I think, or it's going to be the thing that drives us completely nuts. I'm going to le- lean towards hope that we. Uh, we can help one another. So that's it for this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. And I don't know. Hope you're doing well. Until next time, do fun and interesting things. Be safe. And good luck.